Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you today. And uh, if I fall asleep up here, just someone throw something. Uh, my wife and I had an awesome opportunity to go away to New Jersey Friday night into Saturday for this really awesome prayer event called CU Fire. Uh, these retreats that happen all over the country on Ivy League campuses. And so we were on Princeton campus with one of our old pastor friends that we worked with. And it was a time to pray and seek the Lord and really awesome event. But I'm tired. But it was really awesome. So if I fall asleep, just, uh, yeah, come get me. Uh, and we'll continue. So, uh, so with that, though, Rachel's parents watched our kids. So thank you for watching our kids. And speaking of Rachel's parents, there is a uh, banquet next Sunday at the Desmond at 1 o'clock. And so if you're interested in hearing about the mission and all that the wonderful things that the Capital City Rescue Mission is doing, uh, talk to Sue or Perry after service today. I'm sure they will um, gladly sign you up for that. It's, uh, it's going to be at the Desmond next Sunday, uh, 1 o'clock or 1.30, I think, is the meal. And so please sign up for that. It's going to be awesome. So Last Sunday, I had the opportunity to preach for a friend of mine up in Saratoga, and we went all through seminary together, and it was a great seeing him and being able to share at his church. Well, I'm back, and so we're going to jump back into the Gospel of John together this morning. And fair warning, the story we're about to look at has quite a few heavy themes in it. So since that's the case, my plan is to walk through it with care and grace. So I want to pray for us again, because um, I always need the Lord's help with this, and I ask him for that. And then watch our video overview of this story, and then see how because of Jesus, we can drop the rocks. Because of Jesus, we can drop the rocks. So let's pray one more time, and then watch our video, and then talk about this really amazing passage in John 8, 1 through 11. So Father, one more time, I just ask that you would open our hearts and ears and minds, eyes, all of it, Lord, so we can see you in this incredible account. Lord, help us see your grace, your compassion, your holiness, your love, all your characteristics on display, because this is our story, Lord. We were caught in sin, and we had no way out. And the only one who could throw a rock at us didn't, but then on the cross, the rock was through at him, and he absorbed our divine judgment completely on the cross so that we could go free, so we can live our life free of sin, so we can go and sin no more, so we can walk freely and in love with you and love with your people, totally new and free. So Lord, I pray that you would please help us see this amazing passage to see what it means for us. I pray your Holy Spirit would just open our eyes and ears to see what you're saying to us this morning. I pray every person hearing this would hear from you, that you would speak to every heart, that it would go from our head to our heart and then into our hands and out into the world today. So do your good work in us, and thank you for what you're going to do right now in your name. Amen. Take a look at our video. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered round him, and he sat down to teach them. 
The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up. and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now, and leave your life of sin. All right. Well, let's see what's going on here, shall we? So the first thing you'll notice right off the rip is that John 7:53 to 8:11 is in brackets. Have you noticed that as you read in the scriptures? The reason this is the case is because in some of the earlier Greek manuscripts of John, this section is missing, but because it shows up in later manuscripts and because it doesn't change any major doctrine of Scripture, translators of the Bible put it in brackets just to be safe. It seems to fit well right after the teaching of living waters, and we'll see that later on in the story. Man, this really fits like amazingly well right after that section in John 7 that we saw a few weeks ago. So for our sake today, we're just going to keep it where it is, put it in brackets, realize that it's, again, not in the old, you know, some of the manuscripts, and we're just going to go with it and see what it teaches us about Jesus, his grace, and his holiness. So by way of review, the last time we were together, we had just finished John 7, and we saw that Jesus had just finished one of the hardest days of his earthly ministry. In our previous two messages, we saw a ton of different responses to Jesus. His own brothers didn't believe him. Any of you have family members that don't believe in Jesus? You know how hard it is when you're like, I believe in Jesus, and you're so excited about that, and they're like, what are you talking about? Right? It's hard when you have family members who do not believe in Christ. And so here's Jesus, and his own family is like, 
you're out to lunch, right? The crowds has mixed responses about him, and the leaders are growing in their antagonistic hatred for him. And so finally, at last, John 7.53 tells us that they each go, or they each went to their own house. And where did Jesus go? John 8.1 tells us, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So this is a good question for us to consider. Where do we go to find refuge? Following Jesus is not easy in our world today. Jesus promised that as we follow him, we would go through the same things he went through. In this world, he promised us that we would have trouble. So Jesus found places to go to be with his father to recharge spiritually. I think that's why my wife and I loved this mini trip this weekend. It was Friday night into last night. It was very small, but man, it recharged our batteries spiritually. So where do we go to, and where do you go? Where do we all go to connect heart to heart with God? Could be a walk. I like meeting with mentors of mine. I like meeting in smaller groups of two to three and groups of five to eight. And man, I've been loving our Experiencing God Connect group so far. I don't know if you've been loving them. I hope so. They've been a really awesome place to meet with others and say, how have we been connecting with God and how is that affecting our relationship with each other? What places or things do you utilize to recharge your spiritual batteries? So in 8 verse 1, Jesus was seeking refuge, a place to recharge with his father and with his disciples. Because when you read John chapter 7, oh golly, you're going to need something like that. And why did he need that? Take a look. The Pharisees at this point in John were growing in their absolute hatred of Jesus, and they wanted nothing more than to put him away for good. And since they couldn't actually accuse him of doing anything wrong, I mean, you think they're going to win that game? Let's try to accuse Jesus of doing wrong, right? Pharisees, zero. Jesus, right? They're never going to win that game. Their next line of attack was to try to trap him in some kind of error so they'd have a reason to crucify him. So these guys are relentless. So let's see what they do. Take a look now at John 8 verses 2 through 6a. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They said this to test him, that they may have some charge to bring against him. Like I said, there's some sensitive topics here, so let's talk through this. So the first thing we're going to see, the first main big point today is the trap is now set. These guys think, (laughs) we're going to get them now, right? The trap is set. So after taking refuge at the Mount of Olives, we see why, right? Jesus goes to the temple in the morning, and as people come to him, he starts teaching them. All seems to be going well until the scribes and Pharisees show up, bringing to Jesus a woman who had been caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, question, 
Where's the man at? The leaders don't seem to mess with him, just the woman. So they drag in this woman, scantily dressed, if she's dressed at all, and drop her in the midst of the crowd at the feet of Jesus. Talk about shame. The leaders start railing against her. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and Moses commanded us to kill a woman like this. What do you say about I imagine these guys hiding in every closet, lurking behind every bush, watching and waiting to catch people in their sin. I mean, think about it. Maybe don't think about it too much, but how did they know about this? Like, really? Bunch of creepy perverts? How did they, they caught her? Just think about it. Like, I was really having a hard time with this this week. I'm like, how? I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. And notice, it's not about helping her or restoring her, but catching her and killing her and using her to get to Jesus. So talk about a trap, right? Think about it. If Jesus agreed with them and said that the woman should be stoned to death, according to Frank Hamrick, the guy I keep quoting, and the positive action commentary, my favorite one on John right now, Jesus would violate his own mission of mercy and end all speculation of his being the Messiah. But on the other hand, if he said she should go free, he would contradict the Mosaic law and could therefore be accused of sin. So you see what they're trying to do here? They're trying to put him into a trap. Look, take a look at Leviticus 20.10. This is what they're trying to trap him with. Using the scripture. Take a look. Leviticus 20.10. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So notice, both parties were to be put to death in that case. But instead of bringing both parties in, they just drag the woman in. They, the ones who thought they were so good at meticulously keeping the law, Part of me always wondered if the man they let go was a Pharisee. I, I don't know. I'm just I'm guessing. I'm wondering, right? But I got to apply the message too. You can tell I'm having trouble with this myself because there's a little anger there. But never mind all that. <laughs> They're too busy trying to trap God the Son in sin. <laughs> so how is Jesus going to respond to this? This leads us right into our second point, Jesus' answer to their trap. Take a look now. Uh, verses 6b through 8. I love Jesus' response. 8, 6b. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. <laughs> you just find that awesome. Jesus bends down and starts to write on the ground with his finger. I mean, don't you just love this? These guys are trying to trap Jesus, and he just, he just bends down and starts to write on the ground with his finger. He's not having any of it. I just love his boldness here. But is there anything else going on here? Is he just messing with them, trying to ignore them? As you can imagine, there's a lot of different ideas as to what Jesus is doing here. Just type it in Google. I mean, I'm telling you, there are millions of ideas. <laughs> Some say he's just trying to buy time. Others say he's just writing their sins on the dirt. Here's another idea I came across. How did God give the law to Moses? 
He wrote it. What did he write it with? His finger. Hmm. They're trying to trap Jesus here on a point of the law. They are blind to the fact that they are breaking the law by trying to figure out a way to trap and kill Jesus and the whole thing with taking the woman, not the man, all that stuff. So Jesus bends down and writes on the ground with his finger. I think this could represent that he, the one who wrote the law with his own finger, was now being condemned by them for breaking it. Another site I saw said, uh, looked at it from a different angle when it said both the man and the woman should be brought to the temple gates and accused. If witnesses could be gathered to confirm that adultery had indeed been committed, then there was a certain ceremony that would be done in order to bring judgment. The priest, check this out, was required to then stoop down and write the law that had been broken along with the names of the accused in the dust of the floor of the temple, which Jesus did. So by doing this, Jesus showed these accusers that they were not keeping the law, but he would anyway. So, gosh, I'm telling you, that's just two thoughts. And there's so many going on here. So whatever's going on here with Jesus writing in the dirt on the ground, watch what happens next, because there's going to be more light shed on this in just a moment. Take a look at verses 7 and 8. So as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. (laughs) So talk about a left hook. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. So he stoops down again probably for dramatic effect, (laughs) and he lets his words sink in. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. So imagine these guys now seething with anger, with anger in their hearts and rocks in their hands. They want to kill this woman, and now they want to kill Jesus even more. But again, Jesus' wisdom prevailed over theirs. And this leads us to our last point for today. The last man standing. Look at John 8, 9 through 11. But when they heard it, they went away one by one. Bless you. Beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So when Jesus tells them that the one without sin can be the first to throw the stone, the scribes and Pharisees recognize that they don't fit this, not even close. And the older ones drop their stones first, and then the younger ones drop their stones and walk away. Now, why? I think the longer we live, the longer we have to realize that we're not without sin. We have life and many experiences to bear that out. But it seems like the older ones get this, maybe a little quicker, and so they drop the rocks. I can then imagine the younger ones, usually the more zealous, the self-righteous, reluctantly throwing down the rocks next. They wanted to trap Jesus, and man, they were close. Well, check this out. There is an interesting verse in Jeremiah 17, 13 that sheds 
some super interesting light on this. Take a look at this verse. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of what? Living water. Just let it sink in for a sec. What did we talk about last time? Living something or other. <laughs> Just let it sink in. In Hebrew, the literal translation of this is, O Yahweh, the immerser of Israel, all those who leave your way shall be put to shame, publicly embarrassed. Those who turn aside from my ways will have their names written in the dust and blotted out, for they have departed from Yahweh, the fountain of the waters of life. So in fulfillment, I believe, of Jeremiah 17, they were bringing in a woman caught in sin, public embarrassment, but they missed the next part about those who turn aside, who have departed from God, will have their names written in the dust. And it gets even creepier because the event happened right before this scene as Jesus talking to them about how he is the water of life. So here they are, turning aside from the Lord's ways, departing from God the Son in human flesh, Jesus the true water of life, and are left with their own embarrassments and names written in the dust. So with these guys finally off the scene, the woman is left standing there, just Jesus and her. Again, we don't know if she's clothed or not. I imagine if she wasn't, Jesus probably wrapped her with his own robe. Can you just imagine that? He's not going to just leave her there in her shame. He wrapped her. If Again, use some imagination here. He is the last man standing, and it's a picture of us standing before Jesus one day. We're not going to be standing there with a whole crowd around us. It's just going to be us with him, no one else. Take a look at these verses, John 8, 10, and 11. Jesus stood up and said to her, Women, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, said no more. So Jesus asked the woman, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And the woman replies, No one, Lord. And Jesus finishes, I don't either. No one can, I don't condemn you. Go on. And from now on, don't sin anymore. So talk about incredible. So thinking about this amazing scene, who was the only one who could throw the stone at her? Jesus. And why didn't he? Because he knew in a short time he would be dying for the sins of the world, including hers. Now, sometimes people look at this and they're like, well, maybe it's in brackets because Jesus is just kind of letting her off the hook here, right? Divine justice isn't happening. He's just kind of waving his hand like, come on, just leave and whatever. No, no, no. He's not letting her off the hook. It's not just him ignoring justice. Divine justice would be paid instead of the stone of God's wrath falling on her that day, it would fall on him right? And we've got to let that sink in. I need to let that sink in. Instead of the stone of judgment falling on us, it fell on Jesus. And because that's the case, we have to see ourselves through the lens of what Jesus did for us. That is the only lens that works. 
the Christian life will become an impossibly heaven, heaven, uh, heavy burden without it. The stone of judgment that this woman rightly deserved, Jesus eventually took on the cross for her. And because of that, when she trusted him, she would become a brand new person in him. All her sins were paid for in full. The woman she was before Jesus, check this out, the woman she, were, she was before Jesus was gone. The condemnation was gone. She became a brand new creature in him with a new heart, a new spirit, and God's spirit now living in her. So because of all of that would become true for her with the enablement of the Holy Spirit, she could actually leave her life of sin. If it was just on her to do that, good luck with that. But now with the perfect one, the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in him living inside her, he could enable her to live this new way to truly live her life, to leave her life of sin and follow Jesus. So earlier in the Gospel of John, I asked us to consider all these different characters we met as having theme songs. I have been waiting to play this woman's theme song. Like, I'm like, I think I might just skip, like, John 5 through 7 so I can get the list Lady's theme song. I'm so excited for this song. So take a listen to this woman's incredible song and ask the Lord to just speak to your heart what he's trying to say to you through this message today. Take a listen.
time to play that. <laughs> so the million-dollar question now is, how do we go to applying something like this? Are we just to appreciate that we were like the woman and, uh, and Jesus and that, you know, he set us free? And I hope none of us are throwing literal stones at others. So if you're praying rock dodgeball, stop. That's not smart, right? So how do we apply this? So... Uh, there are two types of people represented in the story. The older brother Pharisees representing legalism and the morally loose woman representing license. And here we see both ways need radical readjusting. Like legalism and license, both need to be repented of. What God is trying to do is bring us to a place of liberty, real freedom. Both those with the stones and the woman to those whom the stones would be thrown need God's forgiveness and good news that Jesus came for both. And as that sinks in, it really does change us. For me growing up, I was like the licensed lady, did a ton of really stupid things, and then Jesus saved me. And now my battle is to keep reckoning that old guy dead and to not let the older brother Pharisee emerge. And lately I've been seeing this nasty tendency at times to be like the Pharisee, stone in hands, ready to throw at others. God has been working on me on that too over the last few months. But as Jesus keeps showing me how he is the only one who could throw a stone at me and didn't, but instead took what I deserved on myself, that's been humbling me to drop the stones toward others, or as he said to this lady, to go and sin no more. So dropping our stones toward others, that's pretty powerful and I think pretty needed. So I got kind of three final thoughts as we wrap up today. So, number one, my old pastor was sharing with our church about gossip, slander, throwing stones, and he shared about his mom and how he doesn't ever recall her sharing poorly about someone. Ever. He said uh, she would always try to be their advocate. And I want us to remember that word, advocate. He shared that if someone else was saying something about others instead of joining in, she literally would just get up and walk away. She didn't want any part of it. Number two is about being someone's advocate. I heard a message about this small group, how they were meeting at this pastor's house, and as the cars lined the street, one unbelieving neighbor got really nasty about it. He went out and glued, move your car or else, warning on this car's windshield. Can you imagine that? Your car's windshield with that glued on it. After hearing about it, the group started to badmouth the guy at their small group. What a jerk, etc. The pastor was listening and was really grieved. He asked the group, should we retaliate for what this guy did? You guys want to retaliate? Got some eggs and my, you know, what do you want to do? <laughs> should we retaliate? Or should we find a way to show him grace? And the group responded, he doesn't deserve grace. He's a jerk. The pastor asked back, do we deserve grace? He then told them how there was no chance that this guy offended them as much as we have offended God. My pastor used to tell me that all the time. And how, how we have an advocate in heaven right now, Jesus the righteous. Jeff preached on 1 John last week. It's literally all about that. He reminded them that we couldn't advocate for ourselves, but Jesus is standing at God's right hand right now, advocating for us right this very moment. And as that warms our hearts, which it needs to often, it helps us advocate for others. If we bristle and ignore this, it shows we really don't believe the gospel in that area of our life yet. And then number three, one other idea. 
and I'm, I feel like a kindergartner in this one, to be honest, but instead of talking about that person, use that time to pray for them. Think about it. We can talk about someone for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes, 10 years, <laughs> right? What if we just prayed for them? Sometimes we just don't want to. Sometimes we're like, ah, I'm not, I don't really want to pray, right? I just want to complain and complain some more. What if we just took that time to pray and ask God very specifically that he would intervene? How good are we at changing hearts? One <laughs> time I checked, not very good, right? But God is. I think he would help us drop the, walk, the rocks in a very tangible way. So as we come to a close today, how is God speaking to us through this passage? Maybe if we're more like the woman from the story, maybe it's to do business with Jesus so we can receive his forgiveness deeply, right? Because we all need his forgiveness, and to continually turn away from sin, you know, the go and sin no more part, and then love others with his love in us. Maybe if we're like the Pharisees with the stones, maybe his word to us is, drop the rocks. Maybe we need a fresh reminder of his love toward us so we can be people's advocates instead. That's what I need. Maybe it's to see that we have an advocate in heaven, and with God's help, he wants us to advocate for others instead of killing them. However God's speaking to us today, whoever we more closely relate to in this story, we all need Jesus' grace all the time. And may we, with his help, receive it and keep growing in it this week. So let's pray together. So Father, thank you for this passage from John 8. I'm not sure why people put this in brackets. I know why people put it in brackets, but man, this is a powerful story that I think really does follow right after John 7 about the rivers of living water. And with your rivers of living water flowing in us, Lord, it does teach us to keep on receiving your grace so that we can be advocates for others. And, and that's hard. And so that just shows us how much we need you. We can't just receive you back in, you know, the 90s at one time and expect that that's going to sustain us for the rest of our life. We need your presence to keep filling us and keep making us more like you. Keep filling us with your love and your grace and your kindness and keep reminding us of who you are and who we are with you and in you. Help us keep walking in you so that we see others the way you do. Help us have heaven's eyes for people. Help me have heaven's eyes for people so I see what they're really like. And Lord, help us not miss the central point of this passage today. I pray your spirit would just keep driving it home to our hearts as we sing our final song, as we fellowship afterward. Keep driving it home to us, Lord. Thank you for that amazing, uh, this amazing passage in our time together today. In your name, amen.